Now, honestly, the message of judgment is very difficult to talk about today. Uh, People don't like to listen to judgment messages, and uh, so we tend not to want to read about it or talk about it. Maybe we don't read the prophets for this very reason. But we can't ignore the fact that God raised up prophets, numerous prophets, and they were devoted to exposing people's sins and then announcing God's judgment against it. Basically, he's saying there will be a consequence to your own disobedience. Now, prophets, we have to understand, did more than predicting. Sometimes we peg prophets as being predictors, right? They did far more than that. Their ministry is about reminding people of the covenant they made with God and how they are not obeying or obeying God's covenant and warning them that one day, if they keep on disobeying God, they're going to face these consequences. Now, one thing we have to understand about the prophets, they mostly directed their words at the nation of Israel. In other words, they were in-house, right? They're in-house commands and instructions for God's covenant people. Now, were there horrible things happening outside of Israel? Of course there were. And so the Bible includes some judgments against the nations. But mostly, if you read the prophets, it's all in-house stuff. This is how Israel should behave. And so God's judgments were directed at God's people. Why? Because Israel was God's, God's instrument to bring shalom to the world, right? So if you're the key instrument bringing shalom to the world, and if you're not acting like it, then God's going to have a problem with that. What happened is that Israel basically became spiritually dead. And so God had to wake them up. You know, even there's a parallel today. The church is called to be shalom to the world. We are called to be shalom to the world. If we are not alive, if we are dead, then we become poor witnesses for Jesus Christ, even bringing shame to his name. And so we shouldn't be surprised where God would even discipline the church because of that. So, in fact, Israel became so bad, they became like the nations and even worshipped their gods. Amos 2, 4-5, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees because they have been led astray by false gods. The gods their ancestors called, I will send fire upon Judah that will consume the fortress of Jerusalem. And sadly, the prophet's words all came true. Jerusalem, in time, was destroyed. The nation was sacked by the Babylonians. And many of God's people were exiled into a different nation, into Babylon. Now, let me just kind of express it in a simple story here. Let's say you have a young boy by the name of Bobby. He's eight years old, and he is given a brand new pair of shoes. And it's raining that day. And of course, when it rains outside, there's puddles outside. And what do young boys like to do? Well, they like to go into the puddles. And mother knows this. So the rain stops, and the family must now go grocery shopping. And so mom takes Bobby and her children And Bobby has this sudden urge, right, when they get to the mall parking lot and there's puddles everywhere, an urge to go jump in those puddles. And what's mom going to say? She's going to say, 
If you go into those puddles, Bobby, with your brand new shoes, you're going to go straight to your room and you're going to be grounded for whatever many days it is, right? So there is a consequence already given. There is a warning given, okay? So, you know, mom's kind of the prophet here. And Bobby says, yes, mom. But, of course, during the shopping trip, Bobby, what does Bobby do? He goes straight into the puddles. Not just one puddle, the next puddle, and the next puddle, and the next puddle. And before long, Bobby's shoes are soaking wet. They're muddy. They're dirty. Not just his shoes, but his pants, his shirt. Everything is dirty. So, they get home. Bobby is sent to his room in tears. Why are you doing this to me? It's not fair. And of course, the mother has to remind Bobby, Bobby, do you remember what I said before? Don't go in the puddles. This is what's going to happen. Right? You go to your room. That's why you're in your room. Case closed. Right? Well, Israel's sin is far more than stomping in puddles. We understand that. But you get the trend here. Just as Bobby's mother warned him about the consequences of jumping, jumping in puddles, God told Israel through the prophets for years, if they turned from God and disobeyed, blessing would stop and judgment would come to discipline them. Now, God is incredibly patient. We have to understand that. Patient, patient, patient with the nation of Israel. I mean, he gave them everything. Blessing did come. He rescued them time after time, again and again. But finally, they would not change, they would not repent, and judgment did come. Their own disobedience is a reason they are captives in Babylon. But we have to understand that they also have a message of hope. The prophets spoke a whole lot about hope. So they proclaim straight out of the covenant, reminding them God made a promise. And it began with Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Even though Israel failed again and again, the prophets kept on proclaiming again and again. God would honor his side of his covenant promise to Israel, and the fulfillment of his promises will not only impact them, but through them to the entire earth. At that point in the exile, it, it's, you know, it seems like a pipe dream. It just seems impossible. All the hope for the future is expressed in the return of the kingdom, patterned after the history of Israel from Exodus to Solomon. Only this time, there would be no weaknesses in this kingdom. This would be an everlasting kingdom. And so this message of hope is expressed in various ways, as you see on the right-hand side there. Um, there's way more than these themes, but let me highlight some of them. First of all, a new exodus. So Israel found themselves in captivity, just as they were captives once in Egypt. That's part of their history. So they're back in captivity once again. 
But this time, the reason for their captivity is clearly because of the rebellion against God. But the prophets spoke often about Israel's return from exile as kind of like this new exodus. It's going to happen all over again in a whole different way. And so this theme with its images of the old exodus into the new exodus are all over the place. So, I mean, listen to the subtlety of Isaiah 43 to 5. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, that should recall part of Israel's history. When was the last time they were in the wilderness? After the Exodus. And so Isaiah, of course, he is proclaiming something is going to happen. Make straight the path, right straight to the wilderness, into something brand new. And so the image of the wilderness should always remind you of when Israel was in the wilderness. But God is going to make a highway, highway of some kind, straight through the desert. Also a new nation. The prophets also spoke of a nation or very often a new remnant, a faithful remnant. They describe people whose hearts are changed to whom a new spirit is given so that the law is fulfilled within them. So Jeremiah 23, 3 says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I'll bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll give, I'll put in, in you my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so we're seeing a picture of a new people of God with a new heart through the Holy Spirit who would actually follow God's commands. Incredible. And then new creation. Isaiah spoke about the redemption of Israel using the language of new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, reminding us of God's original Genesis creation. But then what was broken will be renewed in a new heaven, a new earth. The prophets were dreaming like crazy, but it's all going to happen. And finally a new king. God promised King David that from his own family line he would give him a son. Salvation and an eternal kingdom would be established through an anointed one, the son of David. And so Isaiah speaks out, this is a familiar one from Christmas, Isaiah 9, 6-7, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And so these prophets spoke specifically and in detailed ways of what this kingdom is going to look like. So all of these themes of hope 
were proclaimed during a time of captivity when these guys were not doing so well in exile. But these messages of hope were always proclaimed. In time, God would bring back Israel from Babylon, but then there were more problems. So most of God's people, after the exile, were scattered all over the earth. Some of them came back to the land of Canaan, but when they got there, things were not the same. The walls were in shambles, even after they were built up. Things were just not the same. And there was always a pagan king, not the son of David king. And this would go on for years, hundreds of years, always living in the shadow of a new pagan kingdom, Rather, whether it be Babylon. You leave Babylon and there's another pagan king. There's, there's Persia. And then there's Greece. And then finally, when we finally turn the pages into the New Testament, you got it. They're still under another empire. They're still really in exile. And so the big question is, when you get to the New Testament, is where is Israel's God? Big question mark. Where is Israel's God? Where is God's promised restoration? Didn't God say that he would fulfill the promises he made to Abraham? Did you know that by the time we get to the New Testament and the Gospels, we haven't heard a word from God's prophets for 400 years. I mean, there's all kinds of history, right? You probably, some of you studied the history of Greece and lots of history during that time. Lots of stuff happened, but we haven't heard from God for 400 years. I mean, that's a lot of waiting. I mean, you thought your wait at the hospital at Grand Prairie New Hospital was long. 400 years is a long wait. Then, out of the blue, well, I was supposed to give you that one, the hairy guy shows up. What an introduction to the Gospels, eh? A hairy guy named John the Baptist. Not a very attractive beginning, but that's what we get. Who is this strange guy who eats bugs for breakfast? All four Gospels talk about him. So, in other words, this is a really big deal, right? You just can't shove him aside. Well, he is a messenger. And where is he? He's in the wilderness. And both Isaiah and Malachi predicted there would be a messenger. He would come out from the wilderness. Well, it turns out, John the Baptist is kind of like this bridge. He's he's a bridge from the old to the new. And he has come to prepare the way of Yahweh. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, how did he do this? Well, he was in the wilderness, preaching a message of repentance. So guess what? He sounds just like those Old Testament prophets. Right? He just happens to be the last dude. Right? Finally, God sent one more prophet. But this time, things are changing. 
Things are rumbling. The ground is shaking. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And he's getting Israel ready for something greater. And at this point in your minds, lights and bells should be going off. When was the last time you heard about a body of water in the wilderness? Ding, 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 ding. Right? Red Sea, wilderness, water, splish, splash, big divide, all kinds of water going everywhere. See, what's happening is this baptism in the Jordan River is like this reenactment of the Exodus story. A new Exodus is about to happen. It is happening. Only this time, people aren't leaving Egypt. They are leaving sinful Israel behind. Because that is precisely what got them into exile, right? So, John says, people, repent. And show that repentance by baptism. Move on from sinful Israel. What you are being taught is dead wrong. The real problem was sin. So plunged into water, people are accepting the fact that yes, we have sinned against God. The reason why we're under this exile is because we have disobeyed God. And some of them, thankfully, the commoners, I would say, were getting baptized, repenting. But then there was more. There's always more. In that moment, John steps aside. He says, after me comes one more powerful than me. The straps of the sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I'm baptizing you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Spirit. And probably people wonder what in the world he's talking about. Then, a person by the name of Jesus, from Nazareth, which is basically a humble, no-name town, kind of like Claremont, right? He wades into the Jordan River. He asks John to baptize him. But Jesus' baptism is not about confession of sins like the others. Rather, it is about God confessing who Jesus is. His real identity. And so Matthew 3.16 says, When Jesus went out of the water, the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. Did not Ezekiel say something about his spirit? I think he did. Then in that moment, a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Well, what is going on here? Then we realize, well, it's straight out of Psalm 2, which is a psalm about the installation of God's king. Psalm 2.6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. And he said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Well, what's going on here? God is declaring 
his son Jesus to be the king of a new exodus. Jesus is in the wilderness, but he's not in a palace. There is no pomp, there is no pageantry. In fact, when Isaiah spoke about this future Messiah, he also said that a servant was coming. Isaiah 42, 1-3 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In that day, and we are witnessing it today, kings and rulers are all about power, authority, and squashing people into obedience. But here Jesus is installing, or God is installing a king in the middle of the wilderness who is not a conquering warrior, but he's a gentle servant. God's Son, becoming who Israel failed to be, coming through their wilderness. So, the New Exodus theme just keeps on going here. Right after Jesus was baptized, where was he led? And for how long? Led into the wilderness for 40 days. And so your New Exodus theme, bells and whistles should be going off again. Ding, 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 ding. Right? After the exodus, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in disobedience. It didn't have to be that long. There that long because of disobedience. Jesus was hungry because he went there to pray. Israel was hungry And they were complaining. You see, Jesus is showing us that he is our new exodus. Bringing in the new kingdom of God. Jesus is taking up Israel's story onto himself. And where Israel failed, Jesus is succeeding. He is this faithful king who is keeping his promise. Even though Israel fails... God says, my servant will never fail. Just as Israel was tempted in the wilderness but failed, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness but came up victorious over Satan. Everything Satan threw at him, Jesus was victorious on every turn because he did not betray his sonship. Jesus the king would become would come to save the world by becoming an obedient son and servant. And so it's no wonder, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe. Because the one we can follow our way through the wilderness is Jesus. And he's the one we, he can trust. He is the faithful servant that will lead you home. Jesus is the only king in the whole world 
that you can trust. So I'm just wondering, to put a question out there, is do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus is the only king, the only ruler, that can lead you out of wilderness? Jesus said to all of us, my sheep, that's us, listen to his voice. Are we doing that? Those who listen to his voice, Jesus says, I know you. Those are the people that I know because they are mine and they follow me. And so when Jesus proclaims this kingdom of God, he is now turning to all the world saying, will you trust me? Do you hear this great story? I am the one that God has sent to rescue you. And I can be trusted. I don't coerce. I do not bully. I love. I sacrifice. I give my life. And if you follow me, I will take you through to the other side. He doesn't just talk a good talk. He shows us by example. He shows us the way. Well, let's pray. Lord, we are absolutely overwhelmed by how you knit the Word of God together. So much intrigue and mystery and uncertainty. God's people who complain, we complain. And yet you have showed the way through Jesus. You are faithful to us. You care about us. You love us. You came to rescue us. Cause us, Lord, to be a people who follow you. Repenting of our sins, realizing the issue is deep within our heart. And so we need you. We need your forgiveness. We need your leadership. We need your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dan. We're going to... uh close here with one one more song and i think actually we'll just sing the one that we just finished singing before uh called god the uncreated one so i invite you to stand again with us